Hi there. Welcome to Good Life Church. At the moment, we're doing the Good Life series. It's a six-week program exploring the heart and mission of Good Life. So I really hope you enjoy what we have to share over this time, and I hope you feel equipped to live the bigger story that Jesus invites us into. Welcome. Good to have you here this morning. Um, We are in part two of our series called The Good Life, exploring what our mission is, what our heart, some people might refer to it as our DNA, but how things work, How how do we kind of frame what it is that we're about and that we're trying to do. And today we're going to talk about connection, and in summary, and the groups will be unpacking this a little more, but what does church community look like? What does it mean for us to be safe? What does it mean for us to be a maturing community? And I don't just mean in age, I mean in character and in the way that we relate to one another. And today we're going to be talking about one of the big challenges of our society and culture, and that is the deep longing to belong and to find deep connection. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but uh, there are stereotyped two ends of the spectrum of personalities around introverts and extroverts, and ambiverts sit in the middle. And there's this kind of myth that introverts don't like people. I have met a few that affirm that is true. But I've also met extroverts who don't like people too. So uh, that's a separate thing I'm not talking about at the moment. We're talking about the fact of, really, when we talk about uh, introversion or extroversion, in the true sense, we're talking about what energizes you, what fills you up. And so some people get filled up as extroverts being with a group of people, and that fills their tank. And some people get filled up being by themselves. And when their tank's full, they have energy to give to the people that they love. And so sometimes introverts get a hard time for not being sort of people-orientated, and then sometimes extroverts get a hard time for being, I can never have enough time with people type people. And I want to kind of break down some of those stereotypes to say today, what we're talking about is the fact that each of us, I believe, have a genuine deep desire to experience deep connection, whether it's with a few or it's many, to be known, to be seen, to feel safe with people. You ever had that conversation with maybe your spouse or partner or a friend around who's going to come over for dinner this week? And you say, who have we got coming over for dinner this week? This has never happened to me, by the way. I've just heard about other people who have done this. And they mention the name and you either go, oh, great, or you go, okay. (laughs) And that's got a little bit to do some with with how much energy is this going to require to have this dinner gathering or this this activity. And uh, by the way, everyone in here in this room, we all with each other are like, oh, great. It's just those other people that aren't here this morning. So you can all relax. Um, but really, this comes down to that feeling of what are, there are times when it's like, you know what, get the energy, go do it. It could be meeting new people for the first time, uh, getting to know someone you don't know yet. So you're holding yourself a little more. You're a little more on guard. You don't quite know them yet. But then there's those people that you just feel so comfortable with. They come in your house. You don't feel judged by how tidy or untidy the house is. Uh, you feel like you can just be your true self and you're not second guessing everything. 
Do you know what I'm talking about, those people? It's just a nice feeling when you find those people where it's just like, ah, it's just chill, it's just relaxing. Each of us, I believe, want that, and we want it in a church community as we do beyond church community. And we need to find our people, and we need to find who are those people that I can be with. But here's the the real pain of this whole thing. That doesn't happen super easy for everyone. This is very painful for some people when they're on the search for this, or they've had it, but they can't find it again. Our society and our culture at the moment has an epidemic while we're the most digitally connected we've ever been throughout history, there are so many people who on surveys or um, on all the different stats that come out that say, I'm lonely. And we know that loneliness can take place even amongst many people. You can be around a crowd and still feel lonely because there's that deep desire in us to want to be known, to be seen, to be understood, to be valued. To have someone say, I get you, or I, I'm with you, or I don't judge you. You can just be your true, full self, and I'm with you. I'm not going to walk away from you. Now, I want you to hold that tension there because I want to talk about that for a few minutes this morning. And I want to begin by reading another passage. Last week, we started off in Acts chapter 1. I want to look at Acts chapter 2 for a moment, which is the story of the New Testament church written by Luke and uh, all the early stages of the New Testament church. And in verse 38, Peter, the apostle who was once called Simon, he's the one who denied Jesus three times. Jesus reinstates him, showing God's incredible grace and mercy. The fact that God's heart is always restoration. Even if you reject the Christ, he longs to restore you. And he has a mission for you. He has a purpose for you. And so Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost, as it's referred to, and he preaches to the crowd of people who are saying, what's going on with all of this, these people here? And he preaches this message and he calls them. And at the end of this sermon, he says in verse 38, as they ask, what do we do to be saved? In other words, what, what do we do to be rescued, to experience the life that you're, you've just preached to us about? And Peter replied, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. Now the word repent there is a Greek word that means to change one's mind. It may involve deep sense of remorse for having lived ways that, as we said last week, breaks shalom with God and with people. And this is a repentance that calls us to think differently, to behave differently, to, to, walk, to turn 180 degrees and to walk in a different direction. So he calls these people to change their perspective, to change their entire outlook on life and to be baptized. Baptism was a practice that John the Baptist engaged in and Jesus encouraged his disciples to. In Matthew 28, he says, go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This baptism, meaning to immerse, is a way of talking about, uh, it's, it's a ritual practice in which someone acknowledges that as they go under the waters, they're being immersed in this new identity of saying goodbye to their old way of being, their old framework that they're repenting from, And identifying with a new worldview, identifying with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as leaders, as Lord, 
the Savior as King of our lives. And he says, this is what, how you should respond. And you're going to receive forgiveness, meaning everything in the past, even present and future. You are forgiven for God does not hold your sin. The consequences of it, the actions of it, does not hold that against you. But has forgiven you, has cancelled the debt. And now you can walk in freedom and peace. Such good news, isn't it? And he says, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God will not be earned You'll receive it as a gift. And the Holy Spirit of God will be in your life and on your life. And you'll be empowered, as we read last week, to do God's work. The promise is for you, he says, and your children. Isn't that good news? And for all who are far off. In other words, he's saying this a couple of thousand years ago. Hey, all the children far off from here, the promise is for them too. For all who call the Lord our God for all whom the Lord our God will call. And his call, we know from Scriptures all through the New Testament, goes out to all. Verse 40 says, With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. In other words, look around and look at the destruction, the violence, the injustice, the self-centeredness, Everything that is counter the kingdom of heaven, man, save yourself from that. And in this journey of repentance, run, I would say, towards the goodness of God and his way of us being. And then it says, this is the response, those who accepted his message who went, yeah, okay, we're in on this, they got baptized, And about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. And there's a whole fascinating parallel going on even in that language where Luke writes here about 3,000 coming to faith that day and the parallel of that to in the Old Testament when 3,000 people were destroyed. And you see this picture of restoration of God redeeming a rebellious people and establishing a people who empowered by His Spirit who are going to represent his way to all those they are called to live amongst. And so it says their response after this was that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. The word fellowship there is a Greek word, uh, koinia, which isn't just, we sometimes use in church circles these, these religious words called fellowship as a means to talk about having morning tea or supper after a church service. When I was a kid, it was like we had the church service and then the pastor would say, all right, let's all go and have fellowship. Which meant, especially as a kid, go down and eat those incredibly tasty chocolate bars or fudge bars that these dear elderly ladies in my church made. And if you were stealth enough, you snuck out during, this was mainly the night service because kids' church was on in the morning, stuck out during the night service because we were a two-church-a-day, um, two-Sunday service family. I hope you respect that. Um, and we would sneak out and we would go down to the kitchen and we would find the cocoa powder in the, the big giant jars and we would just scoop it with spoons into our mouths and then try to convince our parents and other people that we didn't 
even though it was all over our mouths. Uh, that's what I thought fellowship was. And I don't want to just dis- not include that. I think we should bring some of that back. Yeah, my son's not in the room at the moment. I don't want him to be inspired by any of this. Um, but when we talk about fellowship, we're talking about the fact that circles are better than rows. Can we all say that together for a minute? After three, one, two, three. Circles are better than rows. Now, if you haven't noticed, you're in a row at the moment. And fellowship is not meant to be about rows. It's meant to be about a circle. And the circle is this fellowship that the early church engaged in and that the apostles teach in other letters throughout the New Testament, the invitation to fellowship is an invitation to a shared life, which is really what fellowship means. A life in which we share each other's lives. We share food with one another. We break bread. We pray for one another. We care for one another. We listen to one another. We make sure that others feel seen and heard and valued. We make sure that we create space for one another. And then it goes on and it says that, yep, they were listening to the teaching. There was, they were engaged in fellowship, which almost goes on to explain as the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. In other words, people were being healed and restored and set free. And verse 44 says, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. Whoa, that's just a radical phrase. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Just let us all sit with that. Verse 46 says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. It was holiday season, no one was going to work. I don't know how that all worked. When they say every day they met in the courts, I mean, they had jobs, they had agricultural fields, they were farmers, they were, they were workers, there were, were children to look after. But the inference is at some point, they would gather as regularly as they could in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved to the way of Jesus. Saved to the way. It doesn't say the way there in the verse, but the whole rest of the New Testament is the invitation for God's people and for those who do not follow Christ as Lord to walk in the way of Christ. This is what we're, re- we're repenting from. We're saving ourselves from this corrupt generation and we're walking in the way of Christ, the way of love. Now, I mentioned that we all have this deep longing to belong. And some of the tensions and some of the challenges relate to the fact that in church community, let's just be super blunt here for a few moments, we don't experience what we just read in that scripture every day. One, we don't have temples, so you ain't hanging out in the temple courts. Maybe that's the problem. Uh, we've got to build some temple courts. But seriously, we don't need that. What, what this is inferring is wherever there was an opportunity for a gathering People did what they could to get together, to praise God, to pray, to learn the ways of Christ, to make sure that they were 
relating and inviting people into their homes and there was friendship and fellowship and there was community that was being established. But this doesn't happen very often in our contemporary church world and throughout history, sometimes because of a number of different things, but sometimes it's because of our individual mindsets. One of the big challenges we have in our culture is we have an individualistic framework. It's, it's ripe in Western culture as opposed to a communal framework. And so sometimes we're thinking about me, myself, and I. We're thinking about what I need. We're thinking about what suits me and not in terms of what does communal life look like where my own needs are met But it's not just about me, it's about thinking about others. Sometimes we don't engage in this kind of community and fellowship because of our heart condition. Maybe we're protecting our hearts. Maybe there's a sickness within us, and I don't mean literally, I mean metaphorically in the sense that we have bitterness, or we have unforgiveness, or we have been hurt at some point in our life. Maybe you're even around church And that is causing us to harbor things within or maybe not allow God's healing, restoring work to set us free. And so that means that we hold ourselves back from engaging in community with others because we're afraid of being hurt. This relates very often to our past experiences. And do you know what? God has so much compassion and I have compassion for anyone who's ever been hurt or experienced any kind of Um, abuse or pain or isolation or anything, especially in a faith environment, that you shouldn't have had to experience. I have enormous empathy, compassion for anyone like that because I've experienced it. But what I've learned is that God is a healing and a restoring God who wants to set people free. He wants to heal us so that we can re-engage and model what fellowship and community looks like. The thought I want to share with you, this is really the big idea for this morning, is this. We are created to reflect and connect. We are created, you are created, to reflect and connect. What do I mean by that? Well, I want to share with you quickly five thoughts around what it means for us to be able to live in such a way that we can experience deep belonging and connection and the kind of fellowship that the New Testament teaches us is on offer for those who follow Christ. And the first thought is this, we are to reflect the Creator. Now, you may have heard the term the Trinity before. It's a non-biblical or a a phrase that's not actually found, the word in Scripture, but it's a phrase that theologians have used throughout the entire church history to describe the communal nature of of our God, a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, but not three different gods. Three persons who are one. Their oneness, their unity and harmony is one of the great uh, doctrines and foundations of our Christian faith. And for many people, this is the mind adjustment that we have to go through Our foundation and our starting point for community comes from how we understand the nature of the God in whom we worship. If you worship a God who is just one person and not three, 
there's every chance you will reflect the image of that God in your mind in the way that you live your lives. But if you reflect as we're invited to and know that we're created in the image of God, that we see God throughout Scripture revealed as a loving Father, as the Son, Christ Jesus, or as the Gospel of John says, the Word, different metaphors and pictures, and the Holy Spirit, then you understand that the Father, Son, and Spirit operate together in perfect harmony and the kind of oneness that God desires for His people who are created in His image to also experience. Leslie Newbegin says a fascinating thing. He writes, The church continues to repeat the Trinitarian formula, but... Unless I'm greatly mistaken, the ordinary Christian in the Western world who hears or reads the word God does not immediately and inevitably think of the triune being, Father, Son, and Spirit. He thinks of a supreme monad, in other words, a singular person. The working concept of God for most ordinary Christians is shaped more by the combination of Greek philosophy and Islamic theology that was powerfully injected into the thought of Christendom at the beginning of the high Middle Ages than than by the thought of the fathers of the first four centuries of the church. Now that thought, if you don't get your head right around it, don't worry about it too much. But the whole point of his comment there is to say that how we understand the nature of God impacts the way we engage in our faith. So in Matthew 28, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And let's say this together in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 13 14, Paul says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. There is a communal aspect to this. Now, in the book of Genesis, even though there's lots of conjecture around, Genesis chapter 1, when it says, we have made humans in our image, the plurality there, there's all these different ideas about exactly what that means. I don't have time to talk about that today. But the writers of the time understood God not, the the God of Israel not as one person, but as one God. And in Genesis chapter 1, we have the phrase, we mentioned this last week, where God declares in his creation account in Genesis chapter 1, God declares, this is good. This is good. And when they created humans in the image of God, they declared, this is good. This is very good. And then in chapter 2, we have a different account and a different aspect of the account of creation in which we hear the phrase, it is not good. So we've heard a whole lot of it's good, and now we have a moment where the writer of Genesis in chapter 2 says it is not good. And that it is not good is in relationship to the fact that In this account, man has been created and is in the Garden of Eden, but is alone. And the writer of Genesis declares that God says, it's not good that man be alone. And so a partner is created in which the image of God is reflected in this relationship. You're created to reflect and to connect. 
So the first thing is we have to make sure that we're reflecting the image of God and how we're relating. And we, we look to the picture of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect unity and oneness as the inspiration for us in the way that we engage in our relationships. Second thought is this. We've got to manage our expectations. In community and church, we have to manage our expectations because disappointment will happen. If you haven't noticed, there is a spectrum of maturity in the church. Anyone realize this yet? All of us in our heads are mature and lots of other people are immature. Have you worked that out yet? So many of us are so mature. And look at all the immature people around that are not us. But the reality is in church life, when you come along to any kind of community of faith, you are going to see the full spectrum of people who misrepresent Jesus and his way and his kingdom. Seen this many times. You may experience or see leaders who misrepresent the way of Jesus. Plenty of stories about that. You may experience people who are deeply mature and just look like Jesus, and you look at them and think, how could I ever become like them? But they've been on a journey with the Holy Spirit in community, being shaped and formed in the way of Christ. And this is our goal that we would move there. So we have to manage the expectation that not everyone we meet is going to be mature in Christ, which is why churches sometimes have people that come along and have experiences like, well, that wasn't very friendly. Yeah, that's because not everyone is looking out for everyone. And there's so many different dynamics going on in any one gathering at any one time. Someone might be having a bad day, so they're not friendly. They might be having an amazing day, but they're just not friendly. Some churches just have bad systems. There's no way for anyone to get to know each other. And then we've got to manage the fact that it takes time. Now, I can't tell you, I mean, I'm, I'm still pretty young, but... In comparison to some... Um, I have lived long enough to know that over at least the last 30 years, I have met so many people who have used this phrase to me, oh, this church is clicky. Oh, that group's clicky. So I just thought I'd just solve it all today. Do you guys want me to solve the clicky issue of all churches everywhere for all time? All right, great. Someone's ready to clap. All right, I'm just going to solve it for you. No one ever, ever came to a church and said, do you know what my mission and my heart goal is? I'm going to create a clique. No group of friends ever said, hey guys, let's like cut ourselves and become blood brothers and sisters and form a bond of clickiness so that no one can get into our group of friends. No one. No one ever. Or if they did, then a cult. Okay? No one sets out for that. So if you come and you see, and I'm going to call this perception of cliques, I guarantee you what you are observing is people who are friends and find safety and connection in their group of friends and are at all different levels of spiritual maturity and friendliness. And some are terrified when they turn up here. Excuse me for the spit. They're terrified, but thank you for your grace. And they walk in and they go, where are my friends? And that's totally valid. And then after a service, they're like, I'm standing next to you. 
so that other people don't walk up to me and talk to me because I'm scared. Okay, it's valid, totally valid. But what happens to someone else is they watch that and they go, oh, look at all them. They're all friends and I'm not their friends. So there's a click. No, there ain't. It's just ordinary people hanging with their friends, sometimes finding amazing friendship and community, which we should cheer on. And your issue isn't with the click or that church. Your issue is with God. You know why? Because going to that group going, you're clicky. You won't let me be your friend. They're going to go, no, we're not. And you can be our friend, but maybe not now. I'm joking. The issue is, the issue is, I want deep connection. I want friendship. I want what they have. I want to feel seen and accepted and loved. That's not their fault unless they are intentionally, deliberately on agenda to bar you from being in their group of friends. They're just being what they are. And here's why some groups seem not clicky and some groups seem clicky. Some groups are mature and are always just looking out for someone and say, hey, come with us. And some are just oblivious. But they're not bad people. And they're not deliberately trying to cause a click. So we can let go of the click thing for a minute and we can say things like, I haven't yet found friends or found community or found my people yet. But I'm bringing it to God and I'm going to say, God, show me, help me, help me shift my mindset, deal with my heart, work out how to, amongst a community of all different levels of spiritual maturity, how to engage and to find connection. Sorry, I'm being a little bit tough right at the moment. But here's some examples of how you do it. Number three, number three, position yourself. Position yourself. If you have a look at the phrase, the, the, the picture image that we have up here, you will see we, have, we use these analogies of four different kinds of environments that helps us break down how we relate in different environments. We're called to love our neighbours, to go into the world. We're on mission to love, bring God's love. And then we create, we have a foyer. This is a foyer environment. It's hundreds of people here. You're probably not going to make deep connection in this room this morning. But this gathering meets certain purposes and achieves certain goals. But our goal is to position ourselves, once we're part of this community, to be a welcoming community where we're always looking out for others, where we tell our youth leaders and our kids workers and our teams, nobody stands alone. If you're on team here, you look at, you see someone standing alone, you go say hello to them. Do you know how many people I've met? Do you know how many people I've actually become friends with? Because they were standing alone, and I didn't know whether they'd been coming here for 30 years or they just turned up for the first time. But I go up and find out. Hi there. I'm not a weirdo, mostly. And I just say, how are you doing? How long have you been here? And they're like, oh, I talked to you last week. And I'm like, <laughs> eh, welcome to the awkward church. Um, that's the foyer. And then we have lounge environments. These are spaces where we have men's gatherings, women's gatherings, um, you know, dinner parties, uh, all kinds of different things, new to good life, morning teas, like there's, there's a whole string of them. They're basically small to medium-sized kind of groups or gatherings that happen. And if you're saying, I want to find community and I'm experiencing clickiness, but I'm pretty sure those people don't mean it to be that, this is where we've created a system and an environment here to say, position yourself, like be courageous if you want. If you don't want community, then Guess what? You'll, you'll get what you don't want. Um, but if you want it, then position yourself for it. 
I just want to applaud all the guys that I've seen at the guys' nights who have turned up by themselves, don't know anyone, walk in and go, I don't know anyone. We have a guy who comes to our, um, and, and family now, part of our community here, who turned up from Sydney. His wife saw a, a flyer for the men's thing through the swim centre. He turns up in an Uber to our gathering, knows no one, says, my wife said I don't have many friends, I should go to this. <laughs> turns up, I drove him home that night instead of the Uber. We've become friends. Now we're good friends. He helped me move house. I say that to say, position yourself, but then if you're, on, if you're already in, make sure you position yourself to help the people who are positioning themselves find community and connection. Does that make sense? Okay? You've got to position yourself. Now, here's some tips I've learned. When Therese and I first came to this church, hundreds of people here, we didn't know anyone. So I reached out to someone online because someone said, oh, I know someone who's a pastor there. Give him a shout out. Tell him that you know me and blah, blah, blah. So I did. I, I contacted this random dude called Dan Geddes. I go, hi, Dan. My friend Jared says I should reach out to you because he thinks you, you're a pastor at this church. Is that true? He's like, yep. Dude, where do you live? i like, we've just moved to the Sunshine Coast. Oh, let's hang out and have a coffee. So we have a coffee. Then within around about the same week, um, I meet this guy called Ryan who says, oh, why don't we have a coffee during the week? I said, sure. So I changed my plans, come in, have a coffee out there. Turns out he's one of the pastors here. Make the connection. Um, so we start to make. I, I go along to a men's night for pizza night. I don't know anyone. I turn up. I'm feeling awkward, even as an ambivert, extrovert, pretty good at doing this stuff. And I'm just going, oh, man, I don't know anyone here. I met some people. Some people were very kind and friendly to me. Then Teresa and I decided, you know what? If this is the community that we're going to be part of, let's serve on a team. So we jumped on the welcome team. How's that for a team to start off? We don't know hardly any people. Get on the welcome team. You'll meet some people. Pretty good, right? All the welcome team said? Oh, it's a lot on the welcome team. That's great. Um, and then one of the best ways that you can get connected is to join a host, uh, sorry, join or host a life group. Say, I'll host one and invite some people. Or join one that exists. If you find that hard, I've found that one of the best ways is to sign up and get on a team. We'll, have, we'll talk about this next week. Um, but when you get on a team, you serve with people, you get to know people, people get to know you. It's an amazing way to get to know people. And on our Vision Sunday, we talked about a theme for this year being bring someone with you. A really great thing is not just to think, who's going to bring me, but how could I bring someone with me and engage in community? And this really, really helps. So there's a few thoughts there. Number four, fight for healthy community. You've got to fight for this. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as Christ, God, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And number five, I'm going to invite the musicians to come forward. Be increasingly safe. Make a commitment in your heart to be increasingly safe. Not everyone around church is safe. So guard your heart. But guarding your heart doesn't mean disengage and isolate yourself. Guarding your heart means don't pour out your deepest, darkest secrets to the first person that you meet in the welcome lounge. Now, they probably are pretty good, safe people. But be wise. Manage those expectations. It's going to take time. You've got to fight for community. You've got to even fight when community is broken because people hurt one another. 
But being a safe person means I'm going to be safe with information. I'm going to make this other person feel that I'm safe by letting them know I'm going to be non-judgmental. They can be who they are, and they or their story or their life is safe with me. Your intention is always to protect. It's 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. It's all the characteristics we read about and we hear about on weddings all the time. We need to go back and visit over and over again. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you have that deep longing in your heart for deep and rich community, fight for it, position yourself for it, manage your expectations, understand the community's not perfect, seek to reflect the image of God. The oneness we see in our beautiful God, Father, and God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And offer others what God has offered you grace, forgiveness, peace. And if you've been hurt, bring the hurt, the disappointment to God. Don't direct it back at the people or other people. Bring it before God. He wants to heal and restore. And make new. And if we practice and we offer that to one another, I'm telling you that leads to deep connection and belonging. And I want to celebrate with you this morning. Listen, I am so grateful that I have found imperfect deep connection. People in this community that I can say anything to And I know they're for me and they love me and they care about my family. But that takes time, takes trust, takes demonstrating being a safe person and it will never be perfect. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you want to join a small group or you want to find the small group resources and more, it's all on our YouTube channel. Finally, I'd love it if you could follow us on social media or your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next week. Peace.